Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Y'all had a better weekend than the first service. Um, it is good to be with you as always. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and get those out. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians. We'll be in the book of Ephesians, starting in chapter 5, verse 31. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. There should be a hardback black one somewhere around you. Feel free to use that. Uh, and the words will be on the screen behind me. And I just want to give a final, final reminder and a final warning. Uh, today, uh, we will be covering um, a very adult subject. So parents, uh, if you have a, a child in here that is younger than sixth grade, I would recommend that they don't hang around for this service unless you're totally cool with having a possibly uncomfortable conversation later, but I will leave that discussion up to you. Um, but with all that said, I've given you full warning. So today we're going to be talking about uh, continuing our series um, called Gospel-Centered Life, and we're, today we're going to be talking about sex, Okay. So the past few weeks, we wanted to talk about, we wanted to, to work through this series called The Gospel-Centered Life, specifically uh, because for whatever reason, um, and, and somehow the gospel has been like delegated back to where it's merely a word that is used or heard or tossed around only when we're speaking of eternity. It only seems to be discussed or brought up on, like only when we are talking about uh, the, the like, semblances of heaven and hell. But the reality is, if we believe in the same gospel that Jesus was teaching his entire time here on earth, and the gospel is not just a heaven or hell thing, it is a every single moment of every area of our life thing. So that's why the past couple weeks we talked about how the gospel very much influences, informs, and gives us the foundation and perspective for our families. That the gospel very much influences, informs, gives us the foundation for our work. Like how many of you knew that work was not a curse from God? I know it might feel like that, but it's not. Work was given to us by God as a gift before sin or brokenness or the fall ever occurred. But now because of brokenness, it's a little harder than we appreciate, but work is still very much a tool that can be used for us to worship God in the workplace and thus people can look at us by how we work and see Christ in us and want to know more about the Jesus and the God we serve. Hey, there we go. And keep moving now, we're going to talk about gospel-centered life and how it has everything to do with sex, okay? Now, I just want to give some prefaces. I know as soon as I say that, uh, you, have, you immediately, like, the full spectrum of emotions kind of enters the room. So you got some people who are already, like, they hear this and they are pumped, we are ready and excited to talk about sex in church. It might be my favorite day of church ever. Um, you might see some guys writing in their journal for the first time in 10 years. Like people are ready to go, right? Sex is an, it's an exciting topic. It's going to be a lot of fun, I promise. But at the same time, I know that with this word always also carries a ton of weight. And that sex is very much a sensitive issue. And that if you're anything like me, that you have a past in this area. And talking about it can be hard. It brings up past regrets, past memories, maybe things you're still carrying with you that make you feel guilty, that make you feel shameful. And I just want to say also, there, it's, it's possible that there's people within our church congregation here that you're walking through some sexual abuse currently. And I just want to say, um, I love you and you don't need to stay in that situation. Like if you're walking through abuse in any kind right now, get out. Find safety first, and then we'll work on the reconciliation process. We'll work on um, counseling in the midst of that. But we need to know this is, a, this is a safe place for you. 
that this, not, this is not a place where we want you to keep things in the dark and keep it to yourself. No, we want, we want to drag it into the light and we want to be able to walk through your struggles, walk through your burdens, whether they be current or past. We want to be able to walk with you through those things. We are a family and you're not alone in those struggles. Don't believe that lie. We're here to be with you and to help you and, and let the gospel come and bring reconciliation and healing no matter what the area is. So sex can be exciting. It can be incredibly sensitive and just, it can be uncomfortable, right? Like if, we're, if, there were, if we were just to be honest, like there were I, I, at least one person in the room today who's just like, can we, can we talk about literally anything else? Like seriously, I will talk about anything other than this. And I just want to say like, hey, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm on the level with you today because today will be the first time I talk about sex, like preaching uh, since me and my wife has been married. My mom's here. <laughs> and my mother-in-law's here. So if any of you are uncomfortable, we're on the same wavelength. I got it. I'm with you. But either way, I'm, I'm super excited to see what the Lord has for us and how he's going to bring a proper perspective and enlighten our hearts and our minds over a, something that has been seen as really as dirty and unholy and scandalous and bring it back to its proper perspective and its design where God has designed it to be a beautiful glorious gift, okay? So with all that said, Ephesians 5, we're going to start in verse 31. I'll read through verse 32, and I'll pray again real fast, and we'll get moving. Ephesians 5, 31, and the Word of God says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ, and the church. Let's pray together real quick. Father, I thank you so much for each person in this room. And Father, I pray today, God, would you help us just to be honest? Real healing, real change, real transformation cannot occur if we're not willing to be honest with what we're going through. We can, you cannot heal what is fake but you very much come to us and you've given us your word. Jesus went to the cross so that we could find real transformation, real healing, real change, real restoration, and that requires us to be honest about where we're at. So Father, I pray for everybody in the room, that, that includes me. God, will we be able to trust you and your word today? Will we trust everything you have to say about this subject? And God, will we be willing to submit to that? to trust that, God, if you, if the creator God has something to say, wisdom says listen. So I pray that we listen and we abide and obey what you have to say because it's for our good. It's for our joy. And it's for your glory. So God, would you speak clearly to us? In church, as always, I want to encourage you, take a few moments now to Pray that for yourself. Ask God to speak to you this morning. Ask God to work in your heart in such a way where it's not just another Sunday, it's not another check in the box, it's not another religious experience, but it's a day where you encountered the living God and he changed the trajectory of your life forever. Go ahead and do that now. Father, we love you and we trust you.
May your words and your name be remembered and not my own. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So again, we're going to be talking about sex today. And a big reason for that is because culture and society has a lot to say about it. And for far too long, the church has been silent. And it's been unhelpful. And it's really skewed our perspective and what sex was originally meant to be and what it was designed to be. Because if we were to look at the research and look at uh, what society says, people are thinking about it and culture is absolutely obsessed with it. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to, this is a... Um, Ben Stewart, a guy who worked at Texas A&M in a ministry there called Breakaway for a long time, um, he cited this research um, going through the Songs of Solomon, and he, he cited a research by a, guy, by a guy named Mark Rignaris. He's a sociology professor from UT, and he specifically wanted to study how sex has influenced culture, and these were his findings. It's a, it's a few years older, but I think it very much still applies to us today. He says, sex is the most searched topic on the internet. One out of every three downloads is pornography. And pornography in the United States is a $15 billion industry, and at that time was more than our national debt. 43% of internet users are looking at pornography online, and one out of three of those are girls. So no longer is pornography just a like silo to dudes issue, but it is a very much a person, human struggle. So the reality is just from looking at a few bits of research, it's clear that we as a culture, as a society, as a people, we are obsessed with sex, obsessed with love, obsessed with romance, and the reality is we are hurting ourselves with it. We're like a bunch of kids running around with knives. I mean, you think about that, like knives at the end of the day, they're not bad things, but when you put it in the hand of a three-year-old, things get out of hand. Things get dangerous. And when you think about, when you think about a vehicle, like vehicles at the end of the day, like they're, 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 when you abide by the rules and the design they're supposed to be, they're, they're safe and they're great gifts. But you put a fourth grader back there, I'm not going to drive anymore. Like it's, it becomes unsafe, right? So the reality is God has given us a good gift, but taken out of its proper context, out of its proper design, it's no longer something that brings life and produces joy and love. Rather, it takes it from us. It's something that hurts us rather than gives life to us. Just a few examples of this. U.S., uh, the U.S., leads the Western world in teen pregnancies. 55% of those who had sex between the ages of 15 and 19 regret either where, where, when, or who they had sex with at that time. 55%. The average exposure age of when a person sees pornography for the first time, whether it be like TV or an image um, or on the internet, is 11 and to be honest, I'm pretty sure that's dropped down to the age of nine. And most times they're not looking for it. Like in our culture today, a child can be walking, like just playing around in a smartphone, and they could accidentally find it. It's so, it, it, we have such easy access to it now. Child pornography, the exploitation of children sexually, is a $3 billion industry annually. So the reality is, Sex is a beautiful, glorious gift, yet most people in the room, including me, have been hurt by it or we have hurt ourselves with it. And the culture really isn't helping us with this at all. And what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to see what culture is continuing to say about it, their advice on the issue, and then we're going to close and talk about, okay, what does the Bible have to say? Um, Because to be honest, the culture of sex in our society today is teaching us a lot of things that are very unhelpful. The current view of sex is disastrous, especially for women and children. Research shows that due to pornography and things alike, child abuse has actually increased, and so has the demeaning and abuse of women. 
Today, sex is described and talked about as this end-all, be-all experience. Like you are missing out on life or you are lesser of a human being if this is something you are not regularly participating in. You're missing out if this isn't a regular, normal part of your life. So because of this, it's sought after often, and it doesn't matter who, when, or where, as long as it's just happening. I found a... I'm going to believe it's by the Lord's providence, but I was reading an, um, an article this morning that I just stumbled upon um, from Cosmo through social media, and I, it, it really just applies. So this is a Cosmo article called Why I Stopped Having Sex for a Year. And this is written by a woman who was seeking to have a relationship with this guy, and things were going really well. But then all of a sudden he said, you know, I'm not looking for anything serious. I just, want to, I just want something casual, and now we find ourselves in her, in her story. She said, in, amid enter, in entering we are but we aren't territory, I learned that he had just gotten out of a long-term relationship and wasn't looking for anything serious. Instead of making peace with that and letting it go, I acted like I was fine with his disclaimer because the chemistry between us was too strong to ignore. And let's be real, I was in denial. Clearly, things were a pretty healthy start. That's sarcasm. I kept trying to tell myself that I was cool with having sex with a boy who didn't want to be my boyfriend. I was cool with knowing that he was talking to other girls. I was cool with the fact that it was just sex and nothing else because R. Kelly said there's nothing wrong with a little bump and grind. Except none of that was true and R. Kelly should never be someone you turn to for advice on anything ever. She's right. And she closed with this statement. She said, Our generation tends to look at sex as a means to an end instead of a privilege. See, what's crazy about that is that's not even Christian. That is a secular source catching up to what the Bible has said about sex all along. That taking out of its proper context, trying to approach sex with this idea that it can be as casual and leisure as playing a video game is going to actually end up harming you and hurting you in the long run. Because in our society, we've tried to make it more casual. Oh, it's not this big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. As if we can ignore, like when we experience anything sexually, what our bodies are doing in the midst of us trying to ignore it mentally. Like, I don't know many of you know this, but like when we, when we have sex, when humans have sex, your brains release a chemical called oxytocin. And that chemical is meant to bind you closer to your spouse. Like, when you think about the grand scheme of things, when God created sex, it's pretty brilliant. Because what happens is when oxytocin is released, your pleasure levels go up, and endorphins release, and your pain is decreased. So when you think about it, God created this thing that only increases love and romance um, and intimacy within a marriage, increases pleasure, decreases pain. Like, it's a pretty brilliant thought. But when you take it outside of the covenant of marriage, you're binding all of who you are, whether you like it or not to another person, and outside of the covenant, you're just ripping your heart apart. Binding yourself together, ripping yourself apart. Binding yourself together, ripping yourself apart. So we can try to make sex as casual and noncommittal, as leisure as we want. Or we can try to make it seem, oh, it's just simply a means to an end. All we want. But at the end of the day, it's so much greater, and it's so much more beautiful. It's a gift. That mishandled and taken out of its original design, it's actually going to be quite hurtful and harmful. So for the rest of our time, I just want to talk about, okay, what in the world does the Bible have to say about sex? 
What does the Bible actually have to say about sex? Because I'm sure some of you are curious. So let's, we're going to walk through three main purposes, and the first one we're going to find in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 27. It says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So in Genesis chapter 1, we already have a command from the creator of the universe. He gives us his blessing, and he says, Go have sex. That's, what, that's what's happening here. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, there are two of you, and I want more of you. So fill the earth, multiply, and have dominion over it. So the first purpose, it's not the ultimate purpose, but the first purpose we see in the scriptures in regards to sex is have sex for procreation. God wanted more of his image bearers. He wanted more of his people who could worship him and share in his glory and find their joy and life to the full in him. So he says, procreate, make more of you, have sex. It's a command. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, the only problem with this is that, I don't know about you guys, when I grew up in the church, I heard it too often that procreation is the only time sex was ever appropriate, like even within marriage. Like even if you were married, it was like you should only be having sex if your intent is to have a child, right? And I'm like, I have a really big problem with this, namely because of the Bible. And here's what I mean. Uh, Proverbs 5, verse 18 through 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. I know some of you are reading that. I'm like, I didn't know the Bible said that. (laughs) But I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't seem like procreation to me, right? Right? So the second purpose that we see in the scriptures is that sex is very much also for your pleasure. It's for your pleasure. And I want you to consider this for a minute. Think about God. And he, he's God. He could have made sex happen or procreation happen in any way he desired, right? Like the, Matt Carter, he uses a funny example. He's like, you know what? God could have made it to where you just stare at each other for 45 seconds and then she just becomes pregnant. So it's just like, here we go. Almost there. And then bam, there, there she was. Like it could have been like a secret handshake of like boom, 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 boom. There you go. You're pregnant. Like it, it could have happened so many ways. Ben Stewart was like the stork thing could have been true. It could have been special seed, special water, special soil. I mean, just pull them out of the ground. Like there's so many ways it could have happened. Yet God designed it to be this way, to be intimate in a way that increases our love for one another that it actually is full of pleasure and delight for each other. Now, just to reinforce this, we're going to read out of the book of Songs of Solomon, or other, otherwise known as the Songs of Songs. And I just want to give you all a heads up. Um, Hebrew boys could not read this book to a certain age because of how provocative and illicit in its material that, that, that it could be. So I'm just, I'm just giving you a warning. And also, dudes, he's going to say some things about his wife as compliments that you probably shouldn't say. Um, Songs of Solomon, verse 1. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat. Please don't say that. (laughs) Encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Probably shouldn't say that either. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gates of Bathrobim. 
Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon. If you say that, you're asking for it. Which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples. I I don't know about you guys, but that still just doesn't seem like procreation to me, right? Like when, I mean, let, I mean, just look at that last verse. He says, I say I will climb the palm tree. He's, saying, he's describing her body like a palm tree. And he's saying, I'm going to climb the palm tree and I'm going to gather my fruit. Like he's, he's excited about this. And it's okay. Like you don't need to be uncomfortable by it. Ben Stewart uses the analogy. And he's like, God made the equipment we play the game with. If, that, if, that's, if that's an appropriate analogy. Like guys, it's okay. This is the Bible. All right? It's Okay. It's okay. So first we see sex is meant for procreation. It's meant for pleasure. And then here now we're going to find the main ultimate reason for sex and marriage that God has given us. Genesis 2, verse 21 through 25. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Pay attention here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So what's happening here is really like the first marriage ceremony. God puts Adam to sleep. He says, I'm going to take a rib. I, th- I don't think you're going to mind. Look at what's about to happen. He creates a woman. Adam wakes up. He, he says, bam, there's this fine, beautiful person next to him. He sings a song to her. It's like, this is that last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He gets super excited. And then God brings her to him. And then, they, then God declares this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, marriage, and they shall become one flesh. This is sex. This is consummation. This is an official conclusion to their covenant commitment. And the man and his wife are both naked and we're not ashamed. Now I want y'all, now we're going to get back to our main text in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 31. Let's read this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I feel like we just read that. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here's, what happening, here's what's happening here. Paul is saying, okay, this is a mystery. Whenever you see the, the word mystery in the Bible, it's talking about something that was once hidden that is now being revealed, something that couldn't be understood that is now completely understood. And he's saying this mystery, this concept of God enacting marriage and they becoming one flesh, sex, he's saying it's a picture and it refers to Christ, Jesus And the church, us, his bride. So the ultimate purpose of marriage and the ultimate purpose of sex is actually a picture of the covenant that you and I have with Christ. Because what you see in the Bible is this this picture portrayal of how Jesus is the bridegroom and we are his bride. 
and that he has made a covenant with us and he has committed to us and he's not abandoning us. He's not leaving us. He's not divorcing us. He's not going anywhere on us. He's gonna stick with us till the very end. This is the picture that our marriages are meant to portray. Our marriages, and in many ways, our sex lives are meant to portray this commitment and this, this reality of the gospel. That's the third purpose. It's a demonstration and a picture of the gospel. That's what your marriage and sex is. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't forget, sex is very much a way of displaying love to one another. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Go read it later. It's a lot of fun. But it's basically, he describes sex as a way that we fight against spiritual warfare and the way we cultivate intimacy and romance with each other. Matt Chandler also, in his research on the subject, he has a really cool note on it. He says, humans are the only species where the primary sexual position has you facing one another. Did you know that? The primary position has you facing one another because it's not meant to be this dirty means to an end. It's meant to be intimate. It's meant to be romantic. It's meant to increase your affection and love for one another. But also, more than that, sex is a physical reminder and a physical picture of the covenant that we have with Jesus. Now, I, I say that and I want to clarify something because Matt Carter, when teaching on this, he had an interesting question come up and he was like, he said somebody came up and, and asked him, they were like, are you, are you saying I need to like, picture Jesus in my head while I'm having sex? Because I don't think I can do that. And I hope you don't do that. <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm talking about. What he is saying is that when we have a proper view of sex, it means that the gospel, this idea that Christ is our husband and that he's committed to us, he's never leaving us, he's never abandoning us, his love towards us is unconditional, that we should be reminded of that and it should ultimately be the fuel behind sex within our marriage, that the ultimate purpose of marriage or purpose of sex within marriage is worshiping Jesus out of a fuel and remembrance of the gospel. And this in particular is why God calls us to wait. This is why God says we are to wait until marriage. Because obviously, as we, as we looked at before, it's incredibly hurtful and harmful out, outside of God's design. Absolutely. But secondly, because it gives an, a terribly inaccurate portrayal of our relationship with Christ. Because when you have Christians walking around saying they believe in Jesus and they believe in the gospel, yet ignore his commandments on sex, and they, and they ignore that whole covenant piece, what you're communicating to the world watching is saying that's who our God is. That whenever we mess up one sin too many, whenever he gets bored, whenever he gets tired, he's just going to go somewhere else and he's not going to wait. That he doesn't have to wait on us. And that he's just going to take his love and take his grace and it's gonna, he's going to break every promise he has. So when we don't wait and we profess, like we're Christians who desire to follow Jesus and we just decide to ignore this one piece, that's what we are communicating about our God and it's incredibly untrue. Because there's nothing you and I could ever do to make Jesus stop loving you. Nothing. There's nothing that could stop his unconditional grace and mercy towards you. But we, when we don't wait and we ignore his call of a covenant for this, that's what we're communicating to the world looking on at us. So that at the end of the day, that, that, that's what the Bible has to say. Procreation, pleasure, ultimately, thankfully, the gospel. But from here, as, we're, as we close up, I just want to take some time and say, okay, what, 
what are some practical applications? What are some takeaways that we, that we can actually take, that we, can, that we walk out of the room and actually apply to our life from here? So first, I want to talk to uh, my single friends and my dating friends. I'm going to spend some time with you, and I'll close with my married people. Um, for those who are single and or dating, because um, if you're single, you'll eventually probably one day be dating. Um, I just want to say, if you're in a dating relationship right now, um, if you are with somebody who is constantly pushing the envelope sexually, and I just want to clarify too, because I know we, we try to like wiggle our way out of like wording, and it's like anything beyond making out is what I'm talking about here. So when somebody pushes the envelope sexually, what they are communicating to you is that they care about their physical cravings more than they do your soul. And I just want to ask you, is that somebody you want to be with? Do you want to be with something who cares about satisfying their physical desires rather than preserving and fighting for your relationship with Jesus? Do you want to be with somebody who's going to respect you and care for the deepest, most important part of you, a.k.a. your soul, or care more about their, their physical cravings and physical desires more? Because it's also probably true, if they're, if they're willing to constantly push the envelope in that, they probably also have, don't really fear God all that much either if they're willing to just discount and ignore anything he's had to say about the issue. And I'm not just talking to dudes. I'm talking to guys and girls. It happens both ways here. So I just want to encourage you, and I don't want to challenge you in that, because there might be, like, if, if, you're, cause if you're falling into that category, there are two things that need to happen before you leave today. Don't put it off. You either need to repent as a couple and, like, come to Jesus and believe that he's enough, this can wait, or you might need to end the relationship altogether. But if you really want to fight for Jesus, there's nothing too far of a stretch as something that you're willing to sacrifice when it comes to spending more time with him and trusting in his word and trusting what he has for you, okay? Secondly, I want, to, I want you all to take note of something. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 through 2 says this. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. And what ha- what's happening here is that younger women piece is pretty general. Because for everybody in the room, you, can, you might have one, one guy in the room who everybody's a younger woman, therefore it's everybody's a sister, right? So for us, guys, all things considered, every other woman in our life who is not your wife is deemed a sister. Somebody you protect, somebody you care for, somebody you fight for. That is your posture and your approach to her first and foremost because you do not sleep with your sister because that's nasty, Right? But I want you to take note of something else in Songs of Solomon. I'm going to start in verse, chapter 4, verse 9. It says, You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. Songs of Solomon 5.1. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. Now, now, what's happening here? Like, is the Bible saying, like, this dude married his sister because the Bible just got a whole lot weirder than I ever thought it could? That's not what's happening here. What Solomon is going out of his way to explain and to describe and what I'm grateful for the Lord is showing us today is saying before Solomon sees his wife as his bride, he sees who she is in Christ. He sees her as a princess of the king of the universe, as a daughter of the creator of the world, and therefore he's going to love her and respect her and protect her as such. He sees who she is as God's before she sees who she is as his. Did you catch that? So men, that is how you will walk as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. You will fight for that every moment of your life. And maybe one day you will have somebody that you will be able to call no longer just your sister, but also your bride, okay? 
Fight for this. It's worth it. And I just want to say, if there's anybody in the room who are, who are already thinking like, well, we've been dating a really long time. We know we're going to get married one day. We're already actually living together. So we're essentially, we're already essentially married. So it's not that big of a deal. And I just want to say, man, if you haven't gone in front of a group of people and said your vows and been held accountable by the church, I know you might want to say you're essentially married, but I would attest you're essentially not, right? There is no wiggle room around this. If you want to be married, then be married and practice and participate in this gift within its proper design. Otherwise, I've heard so many stories of, we're going to get married one day eventually, and that's, it's okay. And then something happens, and they break up, and you have two people who are deeply hurt and deeply broken because they assumed and thought otherwise. And I just want to say, man, if you are single in this room, please, please don't give in the lie that life isn't complete without sex. Don't. I think Jesus and his disciples lived pretty full, awesome, courageous lives while ever having sex. You're not missing out on anything. First Corinthians 7 actually describes that it's better for us to be single than to be married. Single is actually a greater gift than marriage. So do not think you're missing out or you're lesser of a human being because you're not participating in this. Don't worry about that. You're not missing out on anything. God is completely sufficient for you. Trust in Jesus in your life. Okay, that's enough. That's enough for single dating people. You get to have a breath. Married people, I have one piece of homework for you. If you're able... Go have sex, okay? This is a command from the Bible. Songs of Solomon 5.1 says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. That sounds like a terrible combination. Sorry. Eat friends, eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Eat and drink your fill, you lovers. That is the Bible giving you permission and really commanding, saying you should be having sex if you are married. Do not neglect this. It is a gift given to you by God to be reminded of him and his character and his care for you, and it ultimately cultivates more intimacy in your relationship. Do not buy into the garbage that the culture and society has said what sex to be, because so often I hate it. It just turns into this weird tool for manipulation. It turns into this weird, crazy incentive like, hey, when you do the dishes or when you mow the lawn or when you take out the trash or when you do ABC, you will finally be granted with your reward, which is sex. But that's so not the purpose and the design and the point. It's not a tool for manipulation. It's not an incentive. It's a reminder of the promise that we have with God. And it's a wonderful gift that the Lord has given us to cultivate and spur on our marriages. It's not a bargaining chip. It's a way to show affection and care and serve one another in a very unique, awesome way. And guys, I just want to say, like, you need, like, if you need to fight for it in such a way where you have to schedule it out to make sure you do it, do that. Like, I'll say, like, me and my wife, we, we schedule it out. She is a boot camp fitness trainer, which means she is up at the crack of dawn, which means by the time we're going to bed, she doesn't want to do anything but sleep, which is perfectly fine. But for us, if we want to fight for this and care for this well, we have to schedule it out. So put it on the calendar. Make a collective calendar where you know, like, we agree this is going to happen. Okay? 
And like some of you are like, well, I, they're like, I have a secretary or an assistant that sees my calendar. Like, okay, go tell them you need to go fix your garage or something, all right? And they'll be like, you've been fixing your garage a lot lately. I'm like, I know life's good. <laughs> but do whatever you need to do to make sure you're fighting for it, that you are caring for this because you cannot forget the picture you represent in this. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And what this means is that, husbands, you are going to love and pursue and cherish your wife whether they reciprocate that or not. So whether they respond in appreciation or they do the, thing, do the same in return, you are still going to love them. You're still going to cherish them. You're still going to spoil the mess out of them. You're still going to go above and beyond in serving them. Why? Because that's what Christ does for us. If we're thinking like, okay, sex is this thing that's based on our works and is based on condition, we're, you're literally communicating the exact opposite of the gospel. Because the gospel is we did absolutely nothing, yet Jesus still loves us. He still saves us. We actually did everything humanly possible to deny his love, and yet he still died for us. He still made a way for us. He still pursues us. So husbands, you lead the way in doing the same. Even if she, even if she's the one who is causing a problem that day, you still lead the way in reconciliation. You still lead the way in starting forgiveness. And you still lead the way in being Christ to your wife. You will do it imperfectly, but you've still got to try. You've still got to fight for this. People are watching your marriages as a portrayal of our king. Verse 33 of Ephesians 5, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wives, do not cut the legs out from your husband because from here, I pray they're actually going to respond to this and they're gonna try. They're gonna try to love you and they're gonna try to serve you and they're gonna try to plan these dates and these romantic moments and they're gonna get it on the calendar and they're gonna schedule it out the worst and most unhelpful thing you can do in that moment is criticize what they're doing. Like, they're trying. Encourage them. Celebrate them. Give them tips so how they can improve in the future, but you don't, uh, don't cut them out. They're trying. Maybe for the first time in a long time. Respect them. Love them. Let each one of you, husbands, love your wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Right? I just want to close with this. So I know anytime we talk about sex, it brings up a lot of memories and a lot of past regrets. And especially after walking through the gambit of everything the Bible has to say on it, it's easy for us to think about like, I definitely didn't do that. I definitely failed there. And there's definitely this time way back when that I did that. And all of a sudden, this guilt and this shame just begins to rise in your hearts. If you remember Genesis 2, it says that at that time, we were people who were naked and were unashamed in front of the eyes of God, Right? But now sitting in this room, we're people who are clothed and constantly wrestling and dealing with shame. And I just want to remind you and to encourage you of the gospel, that because of Jesus, you no longer have to bear that, you no longer have to carry that, that because of Jesus, you're able to bring your garbage into the light and find freedom, find healing, find forgiveness. You don't have to wrestle your shame. You don't have to deal with your guilt anymore. You don't, have to, to let, you don't have to allow these memories and these past regrets to haunt you. Bring it into the light and find that God still loves you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not frustrated with you. He's not wagging his finger at you. And I just want to read 
these lyrics of a song that we're about to sing again. And I just want to read them because I want you to believe them. I want you to fight for them in the deepest parts of your heart. It says, you find me in the shadows, the places only I know, because that tends to be the places where we really mess up. Specific, I mean, even specifically, sexual, sexual sin tends to happen in the shadows, in the darkness, where we think we're in complete privacy, yet the Lord sees us. And in those moments, and I hear you speak your mercy over me. Even in our darkness, even in our rebellion, God speaks his compassion, he speaks his mercy, he speaks his forgiveness over us. And then the darkness loses power and I'm reminded your grace, your cross, your gospel is stronger than my past. It's stronger than my sin. And that my Savior's love is never gonna leave. So not my past, not my shame, not my sin, not the grave. The work is done. You overcame and I belong to you. So church, I, I can think collectively we all need to walk in some semblance of repentance today. Whether if it's from secret sins that we've kept in the dark for a long time, or if it's we all just need to repent and get, a, get behind this proper view that God has shown us of this gift of sex. So we no longer adhere to what society and culture says, but we get behind and say, no, that's what the Bible has to say. I'm gonna submit to this. I'm gonna fight for it to the glory of Jesus Christ and the welfare of our marriages and our families and our communities. Amen? Let's pray.